the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Earnestly seek to commend yourself to God as an approved worker who has nothing to be ashamed of, handling the word of truth with precision. We're glad you're joining us for today's program, A Word from the Word, with your host, Pastor Tom, who will unpack for us the richness and beauty of the Bible's original languages as they bear on key words and concepts from both Testaments. Our hope is that your walk with God will be strengthened and deepened, and both your understanding and application of God's Word will be enriched, and you'll be drawn to love it more and more each day. And now, here's Pastor Tom. Hello, friends. Thanks for joining me on A Word from the Word. We're on session 28 in our series, Oh, That Verse Means That. And in this series, we've been devoting a considerable amount of time to scrutinizing numerous popular Bible verses we believe meant one thing, but are fast discovering they mean something different or something deeper, aren't we? Well, friends, today's text will fall under the deeper category, because even understanding a scripture verse in a deeper way sometimes helps us to see it in a different way, doesn't it? And that different way many times helps us to see it in a more accurate way. Can you testify to that? I certainly can. So our scripture verse under scrutiny today will be Proverbs 1-7, where King Solomon says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Well, I've titled today's session, Being Wise or Being a Fool. Now, if you missed any sessions, just go to faithtalk1360.com and search the menu for local program podcasts. And friends, right here at the start, I must again reinforce a statement I've been sharing. The Bible really does have a story to tell us. In fact, it's crying out, shouting out to tell us its story. But sadly, we pastors, teachers, and preachers, as well as Christians in general, make even force or manipulate the Bible to tell our story, whether knowingly or unknowingly, I still say, shame on us. And once again, friends, right here at the start, I'm going to drive home another point I've been making. In Second Peter, Peter informs us that the Holy Spirit is the author and inspirer of our Judeo-Christian scriptures, our Bible, if you will. So doesn't the Holy Spirit deserve respect as we read our Bibles? Isn't God's word deserving of greater respect, even if it means digging deeper into the word? 
How often do we cavalierly just cry out what we think a verse means? Well, friends, once again, context must be king. And Proverbs 1 7 certainly has a context. It has an immediate context and a broader context. So let's put on our detective's cap, pull out our pocket magnifying glass, and strap on our Hebrew sandals, and together walk down the path to these contexts. Are you game? I've always felt the best route to accomplishing our interpretational goal is to go from the general to the specific. In other words, from the broader to the immediate, which entails doing just a little digging to get at the historical and cultural backstory. This actually helps us to zero in on details we'd miss along our journey of reading due to our time distance from the original scenario at hand for which we're scrutinizing. Although Solomon reigned as king during the 10th century BC, many of the Proverbs were compiled and edited several centuries later, circa 700 BC. Solomon, the wisest king to rule Israel, wrote much of the Proverbs early in his reign. Two other contributors were Argor and Lemuel, each contributing one of the later sections. In our initial investigation of the book of Proverbs, we discover that these Proverbs were generally written to teach us how to get or acquire wisdom and discipline, live a prudent and moral life by doing what is right, just and fair, and to apply this wisdom to our daily lives. Friends, we've all been confronted with critical decisions, some on the same day, haven't we? I believe the book of Proverbs is in our Bible to act as a compass and help us navigate the murky waters life sometimes throws at us. Proverbs supplies wisdom, instruction for living godly and morally, guiding us to pursue strong character, remaining calm-headed in the crises of life, exhibiting patience when pressed, acting with gentleness when challenged, and standing firm when confronted with temptations. Above all, Proverbs teaches and shows us that the foundation of all wisdom is a reverent, faith-filled relationship with God. The book of Proverbs is one book in the Hebrew portion known as poetry and wisdom literature. The goal behind this literature is to offer principles that generally ring true in life. But we must be careful not to make every principle an ironclad promise. We must accept that the fallen world and fallen humans still breed contradictions at times, and not every path the righteous take will be rosy. For those of us in America, God has not promised us the American dream. As we walk down the paths of life, friends, we often come to crossroads where we must make decisions about which path to take, the path of the wise or the path of the fool. As 21st century Christians, we could easily conclude that our Old Testament is just a distillation of dusty documents and rarely relevant to our contemporary concerns. But nothing could be farther from the truth. The wisdom in the 31 chapters of Proverbs is timeless, chock full of practical advice and very relevant because the Holy Spirit has breathed on them and we can find personal connections through the entire collection if we just just look for them. In the ancient Near Eastern Bible times, collecting wise sayings into anthologies was a common practice. This way people could consult them or seek guidance from them to correct a course of action. 
in Egypt and Babylon, collections such as these were used to educate the young and provide direction for them in life. The compact language of Proverbs is such that it holds a lot of content in few words. This genre of literature has many nuances and therefore lends itself to setting aside times for reflection and meditation because of its richness and depth. Even word choices and phraseology are significant, as we'll soon see. So, friends, our verse under scrutiny, Proverbs 1-7, deserves the respect of being read and analyzed in its immediate context, which, for our benefit, will be the opening seven verses of chapter 1, setting the stage for the theme of the book, the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king in Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to discern the sayings of understanding, to receive instruction in wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and integrity, to give prudence to the naive, to the youth, knowledge and discretion. A wise person will hear and increase in learning, and a person of understanding will acquire wise counsel. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Friends, I submit to you that this one sentence is jam-packed with terms that require us pulling out our pocket magnifying glass and examining them more closely and more carefully. As they hold the key to uncovering meanings we may not have been aware of or thought of before. And friends, here are the five words I believe hold the key to rightly and properly interpreting Proverbs 1-7 and then properly applying the truths to our lives in the 21st century. Fear, Lord, knowledge, fool, and wisdom. And before we embark upon this journey of discovery, it's important we remind ourselves of an incredibly important biblical reality. The God followers in the Old Testament and we Christ followers in the New Testament era have always been and always will be a community. We are an assembly of God's people. We are a congregation gathered under one banner, Christ. This is a biblical reality we've lost terribly in our generation. We've lost this communal sense in our relationships. We've lost sight of the many biblical injunctions that we're to live in mutually accountable relationships with each other. We cavalierly view ourselves as and act like Lone Ranger Christians, as I've said before. We often live like, it's just you and me, Jesus. We get our nose tweaked out of joint because of something the pastor said or something a fellow believer said, and we're out of here and leave our church in a huff like spoiled children. Instead of acting maturely and realizing we're part of the spiritual family that Jesus birthed and rightly and scripturally deal with family squabbles Jesus' way. We hate the word and practice of admonishing, which means warning, correcting, even reprimanding. Oh no, we rattle off, thinking those measures are being cruel and judgmental. Friends, see how far off kilter we've gotten? So far off kilter we think these well-established biblical principles and practices are unloving, unkind, unthinkable, uncalled for, and unnecessary. 
And friends, we won't even begin to understand the grand and glorious truths packed into the Proverbs if we've lost sight of the fact that we as individuals can help or harm the believing community by our words and actions. This COVID and post-COVID world has proved to us that our modern culture seems to think that a person can be a Christian without regularly assembling together with other believers. Friends, I'm sorry to have to say that there's no church if there's no assembly. I know, this is a hard pill to swallow. Our secular rulers have discovered how easy it is to emasculate the church. Just lock down and quarantine the masses. Sequester the church and prevent it from gathering together as a legitimate group, a legitimate community. Declare the church a non-essential business. So, friends, this is the perfect juncture to plug into and intersect with our first word, fear. Our post-COVID and COVID world has been plagued by and ruled through fear. Fear is both a legitimate emotion and an immobilizing emotion. The positive effects of fear are many. I'll call attention to some of them. Fear helps protect us. It alerts us to danger and prepares us to deal with it. Fear can act like a warning, a signal that cautions us to be careful. Fear also compels us to action and helps us make wise and prudent decisions. It programmed into our nervous system and gives us survival instincts. We need to keep ourselves safe from danger. Fear is a powerful motivator because it makes us uncomfortable, causing us to move away from what's bringing a particular discomfort. Fear is often a driving force to affect change. For example, the fear of a second heart attack can motivate a person to change their diet and exercise routines. A state of fear releases stress hormones in our bloodstream, particularly cortisol. Low and medium levels actually improve learning and enhance memory, whereas high levels do not. Friends, the scriptures admit to two kinds of fear, the phobia kind of fear and the reverential kind of fear. The biblical concept of reverential fear is not easy to transfer over into or transmit to other languages, even English. So I propose that to help us grasp this reverential fear that opens the Proverbs in chapter 1, verse 7, might be to imagine or envision a respectful awe. Being awed by God and his many attributes that are far superior to ours, making him worthy of respect and revering him. Revering God includes honoring and adoring him, profoundly respecting him. By revering God, we are also deferring to him because he's our sovereign Lord and master and is owed devotion and acknowledging him as being worthy of honor and praise. God has intrinsic merit and is deserving of homage in both words and actions. Our English word revere is borrowed from French and Latin, both meaning to stand in awe of, treat with deference, to show reverence for, implying reverential fear, in other words, respectful fear. And awe adds the element of wonder. Awe infuses reverential fear with the feeling we get in the presence of someone's or something's vastness that challenges our understanding of the world. 
The poetry and wisdom literature for the Hebrews is Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. Psalm 121 opens with awe of God's creation with, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And Psalm 19 reverberates this same awe of God's creation. Just compare the Apostles' prayer in Acts 4, 21 through 26. Well, the Proverbs show us this multifaceted aspect of the fear of the Lord. Here in Proverbs 1, 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Proverbs 2, 5, understanding the fear of the Lord enables us to find the knowledge of God. Proverbs 8.13, to fear the Lord is to hate evil. Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. In the Proverbs, there's an amazing interrelationship between knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. Proverbs 14.27, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, turning a person from the snares of death. Proverbs 15:16 Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. Proverbs 19:23 The fear of the Lord leads to life, then one rests content, untouched by trouble. This phrase does not mean that God followers do not experience trouble, but trouble doesn't shake us. Friends, if you think that the New Testament absolves us of trouble, just check out 2 Corinthians 4, 7-18, and 2 Corinthians 11, 16-33. Okay, friends, our second word is Lord, a title we're all familiar with and would likely say it's pretty much an innocuous word, right? Simple, inoffensive, harmless, not likely to provoke strong emotion. But the translators have given us a unique clue here, a clue we should pick up on if we're wearing our detective's cap and have our pocket magnifying glass out, ready to zoom in on this special variation of our word, Lord. Our magnifying glass should also alert us to the fact that this particular variation is presented to us in our English Bibles with large and small capital letters. Friends, whenever we see this in our Old Testament, it's drawing our attention to the Hebrew word Yahweh, the covenant name of the God of Israel. Two unique words for God are used in our Old Testament, the word Elohim, calling our attention to the God of creation and power, as Genesis 1 says. Then there's this other unique word, the word with which God introduced himself to Moses at the scene of the burning bush. This unique word for Lord calls attention to the God of relation and personhood, as the Israelites soon learned. The God of creation and power became the God of relation and personhood. The transcendent God became the imminent God, close up and personal. So, friends, we find that Solomon in Proverbs chapter 1 reinforces that his God and the Israelite God is the personal covenant God of the Israelite community, who is to be revered above all else. I see this reverberating the second commandment. You shall have no other gods before or beside me, as the Hebrew reads. 
Okay, friends, our third word is knowledge. And the beauty of this word is that it not only carries the meaning of knowing, but also of perception, even skill, and a particular knowledge with a moral quality. It has the added benefit in the poetry and wisdom literature to include discernment, understanding, and wisdom. Its highest sense includes knowledge of God himself. Imagine that the fear of the personal covenant God of Israel leads one to the beginning of knowledge of God himself. Pretty incredible, huh? Just let me recall Proverbs 2, 4 through 6, where I shared in part earlier. If you look for wisdom as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you'll understand the fear of the Lord, Yahweh, and find the knowledge of God. Elohim, for the Lord, Yahweh, gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. Remember I shared in the beginning that there's an amazing interrelationship between knowledge, understanding, and wisdom? You'll notice this when you read through the book of Proverbs. So, friends, the fear of the Lord serves as the gateway to entering into this knowledge and a whole lot more, as the word's meaning indicates. Wow! Okay, our fourth word is fool, and here we really have to utilize our detective's cap, our pocket magnifying glass, and our Hebrew sandals to the full. As westernized Gentiles, we would easily think that a fool simply refers to a simpleton, a moron, or ignoramus, or one who's easily duped, tricked, or deceived. We might even recall the cliché, fools rush in where angels fear to tread. The origin of our English word is from Old French and Latin, meaning empty-headed person. But we'd be missing the point entirely if we read Proverbs this way. To the Hebrew mind and the authors of the Proverbs, a fool was a moral rebel. Did you hear me? A moral rebel, one who rebels against the moral laws and commands of God or one who, in their moral deficiency or intentionally morally compromising attitude, chooses unwise and wrong paths to go down in life, paths that are not only destructive and harmful to the individual, but harmful to the community, the social and spiritual community. Can you see now, friends, why I stressed early in this session that we've lost this sense of communal relationships in the church? and that we've totally ignored or set aside the many biblical injunctions that we're to live in mutually accountable relationships with each other, and that we've lost sight of the biblical truth that we as individuals can either help or harm the believing community by words and actions, especially our misdeeds and sins. Friends, it's time we take a renewed and sober look at Jesus' words in Matthew sixteen eighteen, where he says in part, I will build my church, meaning my assembly, community, congregation. Friends, we've got a once and for all jettison, this lone ranger Christian mentality that's infected us. It can't be just you and me, Jesus, any longer. Well, our fifth and last and by no means least word is wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. This is complemented by Proverbs 9.10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Then verse 12 adds, If you are wise, your wisdom will reward you. If you are a mocker, you alone will suffer. Friends, the goal of pursuing wisdom is to be more like God. 
Proverbs 2, 6 says, For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. Proverbs is chock full of teachings about wisdom, but I'll share just a few teasers. Proverbs 3, 7, Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. Proverbs 19.20, listen to advice and accept discipline, and at the end you will be counted among the wise. Proverbs 15.12, mockers resent correction, so they avoid the wise. Friends, wisdom has been defined as the quality of having experience, knowledge, and good judgment. It's also been viewed as actions or decisions with regard to the application of experience, knowledge, and good judgment. Possessing wisdom also includes knowing how to use your knowledge, being able to put situations in perspective, and how to impart it to others. All these proverbial truths are carried over into our New Testament. James tells us how to get this wisdom in James 1.5. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. In 1 Corinthians 1.24 tells us that Jesus is the wisdom of God. If you desire wisdom, desire more of Jesus. Learn more about him, how he spoke and acted, and imitate him. Luke 2.52 reminds us that as as a human, Jesus grew in wisdom. When it comes to wisdom, no one arrives. There's always more to learn, so remain teachable and open to learn new things. James 4:13 through 18 helps by comparing earthly even demonic wisdom to heavenly wisdom. Let the character traits elaborated on here help mold you. And let me suggest you consider reading a chapter of Proverbs a day. In a month you'll have read the whole book, then reread it each month. You'll gain wisdom like you've never known. Friends, it's admirable to be smart and knowledgeable, but it's more valuable to have godly wisdom to apply it appropriately. My prayer for you all is to desire and grow in wisdom. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, we're nearing the end of our program, which will close with an email where you may share your feedback. A listener wrote in on Session 21, What a Difference a Day Makes, aired July 14th, with my take on Second Peter 3.8, and misdiagnosing that text to teach that the creation days in Genesis could be a thousand years. He shared this, Hello, Pastor Tom. I want you to know that your teaching on what a difference a day makes is the best explanation I've ever heard regarding the creation story and the probable age of the earth. Thanks for your Berean-style teaching. Great job. Well, thanks for your encouraging words. And friends, all podcasts are posted at faithtalk1360.com. Search the menu for local program podcasts. And friends, A Word from the Word is a listener-supported program. Please consider financially helping to keep this program on the air. Just email me for the details. Well, thanks for listening today, friends. And remember, Jesus loves you. I'm Pastor Tom with A Word from the Word. Friends, if you would like to let Pastor Tom know what this program has meant to you, email him at a word from the word at minister.com. That's a word from the word at minister.com.
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.